Wes Gabrielson was told not to do three things when he first started taking pickleball seriously. One of those things was hitting backhand slice shots. So in this episode, we'll take a deep dive into that, along with the two other things that he was told not to do. So let's get to the intro to hear from Wes. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Wes Gabrielson. How are you doing today, Wes? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Now, I've actually been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time, but I had just recently reached out because you have quite quite a pickleball resume, but I do always have to start with, tell me a little bit about how you got started with the game and how long ago that was. Yeah, well, I, I've been blessed to meet a lot of great people in pickleball, and a lot of them have become partners, which has led to a, a good success in the sport. I was actually introduced to pickleball when I was in middle school. So in Oregon and in the Northwest, you know, pickleball is from the area here and in Washington. And that went down to Oregon where I grew up and I currently live. And so in middle school PE classes and in high school, we actually played pickleball. So I was introduced to it at about the age of 12, but we played with wooden paddles on a gym floor in a Duraball. We didn't know what dinking was or any of that. And I was a tennis player. So for me, it was like playing tennis on a, on a, you know, an indoor court with a paddle. And then When I was probably in my mid-20s, I was playing team tennis, and one of my teammates on uh, for mixed doubles was Christine Barksdale, who's a very good pickleball player in her own right, and she reintroduced me to pickleball and got me into the competitive side. So I've been playing about 20 years in total, probably about 10 years competitively. Now, I have to admit, I'm jealous because I did grow up in California, in Southern California, and I'll tell you. Pickleball never quite filtered down that far, at least when I was going to school. So I, I am jealous about you being able to play for 20 plus years. Yeah, it's it's been really amazing to see just the growth of pickleball throughout. I mean, those 20 years, not necessarily those 20 years, but the last 10 years. So it's been fun for me to play and be a part of it. And, and I was really to be exposed to it at a pretty young age. And you said you were playing team tennis at the time when you were reintroduced. I mean, did you continue to play both sports for a while? You know, do you still play tennis or where, where are you kind of now? Yeah. So I grew up, you know, playing just about every sport. My parents let me play about every sport and then I got into tennis. So I played in high school and college. And then when I graduated, I started coaching tennis and was continuing to play USDA league tennis and tournaments. And then once I found the pickleball, bug that hit me. <laughs> I I stopped playing competitive tennis, but I was still coaching it, still coaching a high school tennis to keep that competitive fire for tennis burning. But I have not really competed in tennis in almost 10 years. And then you mentioned the fact that you were teaching tennis in high school, and I believe you were also uh, a teacher. So what's what's going on with that now? I think you've kind of made a change this year, haven't you? Yeah, I have. So I just, last school year, I wrapped up my 13th year as a professional educator. I spent 
couple of years teaching middle school and then mostly teaching uh, the last 11 years high school social studies, mostly U.S. government and history. So you can imagine last year was there were a lot of topics to discuss with everything going on in our country. But I, I was presented with a couple of opportunities for teaching some camps for pickleball that I never really have been able to do. And I thought, you know, um, just with how things are in education and, and everything in the COVID era, I thought about just, you know, asking for a leave of absence. And I was actually granted one for a year. So I'm not teaching this year in the classroom or coaching tennis, but I'm actually teaching pickleball full time. And I'm about a month into the regular school year. So it's been a bit of an adjustment, but I really, I enjoy, I've enjoyed it so far. It's been great. Now, are you mostly coaching or teaching pickleball locally in Oregon? Or are you kind of doing camps throughout the country? Yeah. So my goal, as much as I love to travel, my goal is to be here and regionally in terms of my teaching. So I am mostly teaching in the, the greater Portland and Salem area, right around where I live. I have done a few camps away from where I live. Most recently was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in North Carolina at one of the Suncoast pickleball camps with you know some of my fellow friends, Steve Peranto, who may have been on your podcast, Enrique Ruiz, Bonnie Williams. So that was really fun. But my goal is really to teach and train locally. And then once a month, I'm going to be able to go play a tournament somewhere or to teach a camp somewhere. But it's something in my pickleball career, I've never had the opportunity to really compete from January to June because I've been teaching and coaching tennis. So this is going to be a a fun new opportunity for me. And so it sounds like then you've probably just started your sabbatical and it'll go through basically through June or something like that, right? Yeah, it'll go through June. And actually in May, I have to let the district know if I'm going to be returning or not. So I feel like I'll have a pretty good uh, barometer as to whether or not I'm going to keep doing this or not. But But I'm very appreciative of McMinnville School District, where I work, and their um, ability to give me this. So it's going to be a fun adventure. It does. It sounds exciting. And it also sounds like a really tough decision that you're going to have to make. Yeah, it's, it's a tough decision. You know, the, the, the financial side and is a big part of it, obviously. I've always been a more of a mission-based uh, professional versus a financial-based professional. But I understand that finances are important. I just want to love what I do. And I love teaching and coaching, you know, students, you know, young students, but this has been a really fun opportunity. And, uh, you know, there's things like insurance and retirement that have to come into consideration, but I've got, I'm thankful to have a lot of time to be able to make this decision. It sounds like you're going to play the the pro tour once a month or things that are in your local area. What's your schedule looking like? Yeah. So what's really interesting is I actually don't have as much scheduled tournament wise, really for the next about month and a half during the summer is usually when I play a lot of tournaments, because that's when I would have my summer vacation from my teaching job. So I played about six tournaments over the summer and then have kind of slowed things down and just really focused on teaching. But my my schedule competition wise in November, I'm going to go play in Arizona, the, one of those national pickleball events um, hosted, I think it's hosted by Riley and Lindsay Newman. And then I've got an APP event in the uh, beginning of December in Casa Grande, where we used to have our nationals, and then I will go play nationals. So I've got those three tournaments, but not for a while. 
All right. Well, it sounds like you will definitely be doing lots of teaching, certainly. And one of the things we had talked about is kind of a, a it's instructional topic. Anytime I have a professional on the podcast, I always like to kind of dig into something. And what's interesting is I, I thought about this as a topic, and then I went back and did a little bit more research on your background. And I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was an article Steve Prento wrote. And basically, it, it said that what stood out right away, he had amazing skills and athleticism. And I told him to stop doing certain things. And one of them was, I think he had mentioned was that he told you to do was to actually quit hitting extreme spins. So I kind of realized after the fact that you, you might be like the perfect person to talk about spin in terms of the pickleball game. Oh, it's funny. Steve is like my pickleball father. I mean, we live about an hour apart. He was my first kind of major partner and he was my co first coach and mentor. And yeah, every time I get together with him, in fact, I saw him this last weekend. He's he always we always bring up the fact that he said, "Hey Wes, things you should never do is hit so much so many backhands, hit so much slice and hit a third ball on the rise." And I feel like most of us at the pro level do all those things. So it's kind of funny that he always brings up the fact that he told me to not do what ended up becoming my signature shot. Right. So he, Steve Prento actually gave you some bad advice, but the good thing was you did not listen. Well, I always like to tell him that too, but he gave me so much good advice that outweighs that one, that one comment that he made to not slice. All right. Okay. Well, good. This is, this is perfect. Then in fact, I'll probably talk about all three of those things since uh, you kind of brought it up too. So let's talk about slice. Now, I, I know it's really important, certainly at the level you're playing, but what about spin for people who are beginners or 3-0, 3-5 kind of intermediate players? I mean, do they need to be doing that? Well, I think from a teaching perspective, it, it, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching people in that 3-0, 3-5 range, we always want to work on efficient mechanics, you know, getting better contact. And once people have some mechanics down and they're maybe working their way up to the three, five, four Oh level. Then I would focus a little bit more on adding some spin. Um, I think the biggest misconception when people are hitting a backhand slice is I think people tend to dink, hit a backhand slice more on their dink than they would on their forehand. If they're hitting cross court is they, they break their wrist a lot. And I see that with a lot of students that I teach. I teach, you know, having, having your wrist locked, but if you angle your paddle, with a little bit more of an open face and you keep the same mechanics, you can generate spin without really changing your stroke. So that would be my, my teaching tip to someone that's in that three to three, five range is if you can angle your paddle back a little bit more than you're used to, you can generate that spin without compromising your uh, stroke. Now, when else do you actually want to hit backhand slice? I mean, cause like you said, it makes all this, all the sense in the world when you're, when you're dinking, but what about other opportunities in the, I, I think on a return of serve, it's really effective because for two reasons, number one, I, when I teach pickleball, I talk about, you want to, you want to think about time. You want to give yourself time to get into the net. So if you hit a loftier slice ball, that's going to be a, a safe shot. It's going to give you time to get into the, to the kitchen line as your opponent is ready to hit a third ball drop or a drive. But what a slice also does is it typically bounces lower than just a regular forehand or backhand would. And so I really like the, the backhand slice as a return if the mechanics are there. And it takes some time. If you don't come from a tennis background, don't, you know, 
to those listening out there, don't get frustrated if, if you're working on a slice and you don't get it right away. It takes some time. But I think with a, you know, a dink cross court or a, a return, slicing the ball is an effective play. Right. And and I'm not somebody who had a, a big tennis background at all. In fact, I was a racquetball player. So for me, slicing the ball is is my natural shot. So I definitely use that. And what I find when I'm playing people who are a little probably more new to the game, they actually, if I hit that slice return, they actually have a hard time returning the ball. So can you give any suggestions for how to return kind of that backhand slice on the return? Yeah, well, it's what what I found is kind of interesting going from teaching and competing in tennis to to pickleball is I feel like when people would slice a heavy ball at my, you know, at me in tennis, my best response was to try to slice it back. But I did have, you know, a bed of strings that could lift the ball over the net for me. In pickleball, I feel like when you have a really effective slice that's coming at your feet and it's a penetrating ball, opening up the paddle face and just pushing through with a shorter swing is going to be more effective than trying to slice that ball back. Now, should I be thinking about hitting it any top spin in that situation or in what situations, you know, would you kind of teach people to hit top spin? Yeah. And that's, what's, that's, what's interesting. I feel like, um, and I was working with someone the other day on this in a lesson, but when you're, when you're dinking, when the ball sits up a little bit more in the kitchen and you're still going to dink it back, people that are confident hitting top spin balls can maybe go for a little bit more. I think anytime the ball is below the level of the net or below your, your knees, you know, from your knees down to your feet off the balance, I think it's going to be really hard to, to lift a top spin ball from that area. If you're playing tennis, it's a little bit easier because you've got the strings to manipulate the ball and lift it over the net. But anytime that ball is is low on a dink, if someone's going to add spin, I'd rather have them slice it than hit a top spin ball. Now, what about top spin returns? And again, that's a really tough situation because if someone's coming from a tennis background, I would encourage them to do that if they feel comfortable with it. I'm a big proponent of an open paddle face when they hit people hit a return because typically that serve isn't going to bounce high enough to where you can feel confident enough to hit a topspin return, if that makes sense. Usually that ball is, is, is a lot lower than a tennis ball would bounce at someone. And in tennis, we know people hit a lot of topspin because that ball is going to be up in your strike zone a little bit more than it would be in pickleball. Now, what about hitting topspin as a third shot rather than doing the drop? Yeah, that's a, that's a, another one that takes a lot of practice. I've definitely seen more people on the pro tour over the years incorporate that. You know, I think about Jay Devillier, I think about Tyson, I think about Ben Johns. There's also a common thread between those three. They're extremely athletic and great singles players who... <laughs> who come from a, a good, solid tennis background. So I think that's kind of an innate shot that they, I've seen, again, more pros use that. I don't, I don't necessarily teach people that I'm giving lessons to how to hit a third ball roll. I work more on if they don't want to just lift it, we work on adding a little slice, but both, both hitting a slice and a top spin third ball a drop are really pretty advanced skills. Very true. And I know I rely a lot on my slice shot just because it's it's natural. But yeah, still working on that top spin just, just to have it in my back pocket. 
All right. So I think you had mentioned, we talked about kind of the, the three things that when you first started, Steve Parento told you not to do. We, we talked about kind of um, spin and slice. Now, what about hitting backhands? What did he say about that? Yeah. So he, he thought I hit too many backhands and I was, re- I'm very, <clears throat> I'm very kind of unorthodox with how I play pickleball compared to most because I switch hands, but I like to run around and hit a backhand as much as possible. And I actually did that in tennis. So I think most people coming from tennis or other racket sports, you know, racquetball might be different, but I know in tennis, a lot of people would rather do the opposite and run around and hit their forehand as much as possible. I think at the point in which I met Steve and I started competing, not a lot of people playing at the highest level hit a lot of backhands. Everyone would hit a really strong forehand. So I think because of that, he was encouraging me to not hit as many backhands, if that makes sense. It does. And is that something that you still do run around and hit your backhand instead of that forehand? Yeah, I would say 99% of my returns are backhand slice. Wow. And I think and I think honestly a lot of I think you see a significant amount of pro players also hit a whether it's a forehand or a backhand, they kind of hit a slice return, uh, especially if the the serve is very deep and a penetrating serve. Now if the ball if the serve is short and a player has time to come in, they're going to probably hit a forehand and drive the return. If that makes sense. It, it does. Absolutely. If it's short in the court, sure. All right. So I think the third thing that was mentioned was hitting. I told him to quit hitting third shot dinks as the ball was rising. Yes. Yes. I, I think the the impetus for that was Steve. I mean, Steve has been playing pickleball at the 5-0 level longer than anyone. I mean, since 1974, I believe. And I think, you know, giving a shout out to he and his, his longtime men's partner, Randy Byther, who both live in the Portland, Oregon area. They just won a tournament, a senior tournament a couple of weeks ago. They've won at the 5-0 level. So they've actually, I don't know if you know this, Lynn, but they actually have won a 5-0 men's doubles tournament in five consecutive decades, which is really impressive. He, he even made a shout out on, I think, on another podcast to Ben Johns. And he said, Ben, you got to wait till like 2060 to accomplish that or something like that. So anyways, I thought that was really funny, but really impressive, right? I mean, I... I don't, I don't know if we're going to see that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's just absolutely crazy. I did not know that. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And a quick, quick side note. So last weekend, Eric Lang and I, who's my, you know, kind of main partner on the pro tour, we, we had a, a team competition here in Oregon where we did kind of a Ryder cup format and he captained a team. I captained a team. We had 10 guys on each team, but Randy and Steve, did the commentary for the event. And so we made sure to, to let the crowd know that accomplishment they had, which got a huge round of applause, as you can imagine. It's such a, a great accomplishment to, to win those tournaments five decades in a row. But going back to your question, the way that Steve plays is very efficient and it's all about buying he and his partner time to get into the net. So Steve would like to let the returns fall So we had time to hit a soft third ball and gave me time to get into the net. I think his frustration with me at the beginning was I was hitting a third ball on the rise, which gave him less time to get into the net. Does that make sense? 
It do, it does. And I hadn't thought about it that way because I had one of the things when I first started playing pickleball was I realized that for me to hit that third shot drop, it's much easier to hit that shot as the ball is dropping rather than as it was rising. So I was actually thinking about coming from that perspective of it just be just being so much of a tougher shot to hit that third shot as it actually rises. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's the other part of the equation. It's it's how much easier that ball is to hit. And when you think about it, if you're hitting a forehand third ball drop and your paddle face is open, just like it would be on a dink, that's going to be a more efficient, consistent shot than if you're going to try to hit maybe a backhand slice off of it, which is a tougher shot. You have less surface area to hit on your paddle. True. Yeah. And that, that, that actually brings up a good point. It's like I, tend, like I said before, I tend to slice so much. And probably if I want to be more consistent with my third shot drop, I probably actually do not want to do that as much. Yes. <laughs> good advice. <laughs> but, but, I think, but I think what's been funny is that Steve has seen when players have come into, and not just Steve, but everyone has seen players that are coming into the pro pickleball ranks that come from a much higher tennis background than myself or Steve or others that have been playing for a while it's pretty natural for them to hit a third ball on the rise. So I think you're seeing more and more people using that um, technique and then having the quick foot speed to get in and, and get to the kitchen line in time. Right. Yep. That makes absolute sense. All right. Well, anyways, what I want to do today then to finish up is I always do like to ask the pros, which pickleball paddle do you use and why? Sure. So I recently in, I think it was February, I switched over to Selkirk. have really known that the company for a while and was just in a situation where I was looking to switch sponsors and was lucky to uh, get signed by them. I started playing with the, their Epic Amped paddle. Not so much the new Vanguard series, even though it's a great, it just wasn't quite the fit for me. And so I went with an Epic Amped uh, paddle that they've had for a while, and it's the lightweight and then I was really fortunate that they wanted to partner and, and do actually a signature paddle. So I have my own signature paddle with them, and it's an Epic Amped with a, a color scheme that I came up with. And uh, I love it. I love the touch and the power and, and, and everything about the paddle. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, congrats on getting that signature paddle. And just out of curiosity, because you're probably one of the first pros I think I've ever talked to that actually plays with the light paddle. Tell me why mm -hmm. that is. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I, you know, for me, I feel like my strengths in pickleball are my defense and my consistency. And so when I get into a really, you know, a, a quick exchange battle, I tend to reset a little bit more as opposed to counter punching. And I feel like having that lighter paddle is going to allow me to play better defense. And then as a result of not having a heavier paddle, I have to use more of my core strength to get the ball over. I'm not saying people that use a heavier paddle don't have strength. <laughs> That's not the case. But for me, it's always been, you know, when I was with ProLite, when I was with Onyx for my first two companies I played with in pickleball, I always had a paddle that was under 7.7 .7 ounces. It was always pretty light uh, because I wanted to have, you know, the paddle that would allow me to have quicker hands in a hand speed battle. Right. And because it's lighter, you can maneuver it faster to give you that edge. Yeah. And what I've really found with, you know, again, with each of those companies uh, and paddles I played with, 
I found a paddle that worked for me with each of those companies that allow me to have that quick hand speed without sacrificing power on my paddle. Because I think sometimes when you get a lighter paddle, you may you know, have less power off of that paddle. What I found with this amped Epic paddle from Selkirk is I actually get the same, if not more power than I'm used to getting from a paddle with that lightweight. So it's been a great marriage of those two things that I'm looking for. Right. Sounds like a great paddle. And you, you did say it's the Selkirk Epic that's amped. Yes. Yes. All right. Then to finish up today, if somebody wants to reach out and get in contact with you, where is the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So I have on, on Facebook, I'm not a huge you know social media person, but I have, I'm working on it. I've got a, a Facebook, just my, my personal page that uh, will have Wesley Gabrielson. They can you know reach out and uh, send me a message there. I'm also working on a Wesley Gabrielson pickleball page on Facebook as well. And, and over time, that's going to be the easiest way to get a hold of me. But for people that are uh, on Facebook, they can find my personal page and, and send me a message if they have questions or uh, requests for, for lessons. Right. And now's a great time for lessons because you're, you're doing that full time. So people reach out if you're in that area. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the Pickleball Fire show, Wes. I really do appreciate your time and it's been great to talk with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great to chat with you, Lynn, and, and meet another great person in Pickleball who lives uh, in a different part of the country for me. That's what's so great about the sport. It is. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.